0: you at this very moment in which you are alive and you breathe the air we all share with one another. I am Reverend Dr. Candace Bist and along with my husband, Bruce Lee, we serve the Shelburne Primrose Pastoral Charge in Southern Ontario and also you if you are listening to this podcast. We have been taking a stroll through the parables this summer the stories taught by Jesus and written about in the Synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke. In the parables, we are given hints or glimpses of different aspects of the kingdom of God and what it is all about. The two phrases, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, are interchangeable, and found 162 times altogether in the first three Gospels. The phrase, the kingdom of heaven, is unique to the book of Matthew. I know that several of you are having trouble with this idea that the kingdom of God is in the here and now, because there is this idea floating around that the kingdom of God, being the kingdom of heaven, is something that happens after we die. Well, if we're good, so the story goes. But this is actually a very recent interpretation of the phrase, one that has only been in common usage since the 20th century. There are other interpretations, more ancient, and in existence before the creation of the religion we know and claim as Christianity. Might I suggest that the kingdom of God is already and not yet. It is already in existence, both in this world and beyond, and not yet realized in this world, nor fully alive, as long as we are living. As we work with non-binary concepts and paradoxes—Jesus' specialty—we can say that yes, the Kingdom of God is already here, and it is not yet fully complete. You might say, in a very broad sense, that the world is not divided into religions or nations or cultures or races, but rather simply divided, if in fact it is divided at all, between those leaning towards the ushering in of the kingdom of God and those who are leaning away from it. And even then, Each of us, within one hour, perhaps one minute, can lean toward God and then lean away. It is all a matter of the movement of the heart, and you know this is so. I must tell you that I am very excited about the possibilities of newer understandings of this ancient idea, because I think it will help us with all matter of issues facing us right now the COVID-19 pandemic, the Black Lives Matter and anti-racism awareness that has been brought to our attention, the current environmental crisis, the endless array of challenges personal and corporate before us, and the lengthy list of social justice issues needing attention. But let us start with three simple aspects of the Kingdom of God for our reflection today. The kingdom of God is ushered in by people who react to what is going on around them in a certain way. The kingdom of God is no respecter of cultural laws, traditions, or norms. It has its own code of ethics that rises above all human-made concepts. The kingdom of God can be explored in all forms of art, as artists, in one way or another, are interpreting it, or the lack of it, for us. And today, we have some wonderful interpreters to join us. Helen and Leslie from Alyssa's meditation class, Anne of Green Gables and her viewing of the residential schools in PEI, Emily Carr painter and adventurer who gave us perhaps her most famous painting, The Indian Church, and Pablo Picasso, who brought the world a depiction of war in his painting Guernica, a painting of the destruction of the Spanish town of which the painting is named. Our faith is an experiential faith, a lived-out faith, a practiced faith, And the kingdom of God is brought into being by none other than us. God has already created it, offered it to us. All its principles are in place. All of nature declares its wisdom and offers itself to us as inspiration. Our job is to open our eyes and see where it exists and then do our part to usher it along. The Chinese writer Lu Hassan wisely observed that hope cannot be said to exist, nor can it be said not to exist, for it is like the roads across the earth, which were not roads to begin with, but only came into existence when people passed a certain way, and thus a road was made. In the same way, the kingdom of God cannot be said to exist, nor can it be said not to exist. For though its tenets and boundaries and spirituality have been offered to us, it can only be seen and realized, at least in our lifetime, if we follow its lead and make choices that usher it into being. The kingdom of God... The kingdom of heaven is already, and not yet.
1: Seek ye first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness these things will be added unto you hallelujah hallelujah ask and it shall be given unto you seek and you shall find knock and the door shall be opened unto you
0: to worship this morning is inspired by a painting that Bruce did several years ago, which hangs in my office. It is a viewing of the cross I had not considered before. In the painting, the cross sits alone and somewhat fragile, leaning on what appears to be a protective alcove in a cave in the midst of a somewhat chaotic rendering of the world outside. And then there is a set of stairs that draws the eye up and out of the painting to something unseen, to what we might call heaven or new possibility or mystery unknown. But the stairs go out of the chaos to some new understanding, some new place. It is a new viewing of the cross, for me anyway, and a reminder that I have seen the cross displayed in a variety of ways in my life that has caused me to shudder and weep for the pain I think that symbol has caused others. The cross, like all symbols, can be used for good or evil, depending on its use. One day, while I was out walking, I saw a cross, a very large one, on the top of a high hill out in the country and it pained me. I have seen the cross perched high a grand impressive thing it was in the midst of a pastoral nowhere. And I recoiled at its presence on the top of a lovely grassy knoll. And this surprised me. But I have learned to trust my body's wisdom. It is far more accurate than the faulty mind. It tells truth when lies would rather suffice. Was not the dreamy space already sacred? Why did the placement of those two timbers crossing themselves cause me to flinch? For my faith, for the tender people of this world, for all the muddled metaphors that lead to cruelty. Keep out it said. This is ours and we will not share and I wondered how the body of a man, stretched out to include everyone, had morphed into this blasphemy of adamantine claim. I have always thought my own body the cross in its better moments, my feet firmly grounded in the moment, in the space, my chin tilted upwards to the heavens for inspiration, my arms wide open to all possibility, and my heart vulnerable and unafraid. But here is another cross I had not pondered. It seems thin and frail, needing support, hidden and unsure, tentative, left behind, forgotten, in a cave of some kind and I wonder at the artist's heart how he finds this cross leaning against a cave wall left unattended and yet for all that it is forgotten there are nearby the steps to heaven oh not some flimsy imagining the real heaven Of moments cherished those sparkling seconds we choose to give the world with our largesse our yes and the cross is not a symbol of triumph it is not a symbol of power neither is it a symbol of a particular faith the one has claimed it as their own it is a thing Of tenderness a hidden matter and not a boastful one its strength lies in its hesitation to claim when one has spent time in the cave of contemplation the forgotten room of loneliness and still clung to love the stairs to heaven appear as out of nowhere leading to who knows where. Let's pray together. Gracious God, creator of all there ever was and all there will ever be, our beloved co-creator in the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the place where all peace dwells and where all goodness is our first instinct, where forgiveness comes quickly and easily to us, and our desire is for the highest of graces, humility in all things. In the midst of worldwide confusion, still you offer us the beauty of a summer day In the midst of uncertainty, you offer us the certainty that love heals all wounds and must be our guide in all decision-making. In the midst of death and destruction, you offer us the knowledge that rebirth always follows in one form or another. In the midst of cruelty and despair, You offer us the truth that we may yet be the harbingers of grace, offering affection and compassion freely to all who cross our path. We thank you for this deep wisdom that has been gifted to us through the life of Jesus, through our scriptures, through all the wisdom writing through the ages through artists with their hearts turned towards yours, and through all those who model for us what life is like when we live as though the kingdom of God is a real possibility. Amen. Our scriptures come in three sections this morning, firstly from the Old Testament, then in a modern musical version of what I think of as a psalm, and then through a selected reading of a few of the 162 times in the Synoptic Gospels where the Kingdom of God is mentioned. The idea of the Kingdom of God in the New Testament originates in the Hebrew scriptures, where God's sovereignty is established. You will remember that in the historic books, the prophets were very reluctant to give the Hebrews a human king, lest they forget that God was their sovereign. This gave rise to the Jewish nation-state and the idea that God, over time, belonged to them, To the Israeli people, the original theological idea that God was a personal entity became a matter of ownership. But originally, there was simply the idea that God was sovereign. I'm reading from Psalm 24, verses 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and all that is in it, the world and those who live in it, for he has founded it on the seas and established it on the rivers. And from Psalm 103, verses 8 to 20, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always accuse, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he removes our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who fear him. For he knows how we were made. He remembers that we are dust. As for mortals, their days are like grass. They flourish like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you, his angels you mighty ones who do his bidding obedient to his word.
1: In the bulb there is a flower In the seed, an apple tree In cocoons, a hidden promise Butterflies will soon be free In the cold and snow of winter There's a spring that waits to be Unrevealed until its season Something God alone can see There's a song in every silence Seeking word and melody There's a dawn in every darkness Bringing hope to you and me From the past will come the future What it holds, a mystery Unrevealed until it's season God alone can see. In our end is our beginning. In our time, infinity. In our doubt, there is belief.
0: invocation was taken from Matthew 6 33 but strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well here are the opening lines of several parables and note how they bring us to people and things in this world and the relationship between them The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into flour. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, He hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. The kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. The kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. The kingdom of God is to be understood right in the midst of what we are doing. And you can look around in the very life you have now and see it. See how some people usher it in and some people shoo it away and some people order it away. Last Thursday, Alyssa hosted a restorative yoga and meditation gathering in my orchard, which was lovely. She had showed me the list of participants, and there were two names on the list that I recognized, Helen and Leslie, two women I had not seen in quite some time. And on seeing their names, I immediately felt happy and appreciated. It was an instant response. How wonderful is that? To have someone hear your name or see it written down on a piece of paper, just alphabets strung together, and you feel loved and appreciated and happy. These are women both who know how to usher in the kingdom of God. They know how to be encouraging, how to think the best in others how to hope for others, how to bring about fullness of life. I cannot think of a lovelier epitaph at the end of one's life than she made people feel happy and loved. And Alyssa, in her closing meditation, read several lines from a favorite Mary Oliver poem. I have read it to you. And I thought, ah, there's another person who encourages the kingdom of God in our midst. Mary writes, You do not have to walk on your knees for a hundred miles through the desert repenting. You only have to let the soft animal of your body love What it loves. Tell me about despair yours and I will tell you mine. And as Alyssa led us in a closing prayer of blessing for one another and the universe, I thought, ah, more ushering in of the kingdom right here, right now as the evening light fades behind the trees. I continued to watch Anne with an E, which I think we will study week by week in the fall, as it showed me again and again what the kingdom of God looks like in relation to forgiveness, anger, homosexuality, abandonment, women's issues, prejudice, and, in particular, a most painful demonstration of the thinking behind the residential school's in the Maritimes. I knew, but it hadn't fully registered with me, that when the residential schools were put in place it was decreed by law, backed up by violence, that children could be taken from their homes against their parents wishes and taken to places their parents were not permitted to visit. And if the children ran away, They were hunted like animals, and no matter the damage that had been done, their parents were powerless to protect them and to let them heal. The children were dragged back at gunpoint with the backing of the church, the backing of the government, the backing of the legal authorities, but not by the blessing of the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom of God does not bow to the laws of the land or the doctrines of the church or the traditions within a culture that do not value each and every person as unique, valuable, and beloved a child of God. To usher in the kingdom of God is to challenge any law, any church, any ecclesia, any power that does not hold with the foundational principles of love as the highest order. Emily Carr, living in British Columbia in the late 19th and early 20th century, was born into a family devoted to the ways that were English and Protestant, Sunday service Evening Bible readings, the supremacy of the Christian doctrine. But her heart called her to the deep recesses of the wilderness and the ways of the Aboriginal people living on the west coast of Canada. Traveling alone on horseback with her trusty dogs, she set off to understand the ways of her native neighbors, their love of the land, their understanding of God their artwork, and how they lived together in community. She observed them, conversed with them, wrote and sketched about them. But when she took her notes and paintings to the officials so that they could see the value that the Aboriginal people held, she was told that her paintings and notes were not scientific records, but artistic ones, and therefore of no use. Emily chased after God, not fame or fortune, living in obscurity and often poverty much of her life. She learned the ways of stillness, the way of quiet, the way of the spirit, and she brought this knowledge to her painting. In her self-titled Indian Church, she shows us the quintessential little white-steepled building of her Protestantism, but it is surrounded by the rich, curling forest floor and the tall redwoods that dominate it. The church is vulnerable in the midst of the strength of the native trees, and yet it is not lost or covered up by them. She has painted in stillness this emerging thought of the two worlds of equal value and equal worth, It is a painting of the kingdom of God, as seen through the eyes of one who would usher it in. Pablo Picasso painted his famous mural, Guernica, after the Spanish town was bombed in 1937 during the Spanish Civil War. Guernica was a quiet town in the Basque country with no military importance. But Hitler, who backed the fascist general Francisco Franco, wanted a show of power and military might. And thinking the resistance might be located there, he bombed the little town for two straight hours until it was desecrated. It has since been condemned as a terror bombing the town being mostly occupied by women and children on that particular Monday morning. A thousand civilians were killed, and from this atrocity Pablo Picasso painted his iconic mural, which addressed the terror and destruction of modern warfare. Ken sequestered, who always offers the most marvelous insights, brings this to my attention, and he writes, During World War II, neither Allied nor Axis powers hesitated from using the bombing of civilian populations as a tactic of war meant to demoralize the respective enemy's citizens. Two of the most notorious cases were Germany's bombing of London and other British cities, killing an estimated 40,000 civilians, and the British and US bombing of Dresden, which had few military targets and killing 25,000 people. In November of 1941, the Commander-in-Chief of the British Bomber Command said he had been intentionally bombing civilians for a year. He says in an interview, I mention this because for a long time, the government, for excellent reasons, has preferred the world to think that we still had some scruples and attacked only what the humanitarians are pleased to call military targets. I can assure you, gentlemen, that we tolerate no scruples. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, has plenty of scruples, and we are called upon to know them, to examine them in the world and in our own hearts. A scruple is defined in the dictionary as a feeling of doubt or hesitation with regard to the morality or the propriety of a course of action. We must live in this place of doubt and hesitation concerning all human action and thought, holding what we know lightly, offering it up continually to the light for examination. Our artists offer these reflections of culture. The kingdom of God is both already and not yet. It is being modeled by people all around us. It is being painted and sung and photographed and written about by our artists. It is also being destroyed and bombed and displaced and dismissed and made to feel as though it has no place no importance, pushed into an imaginary place after life when in truth it is all around us. Be encouraged. The kingdom of God is already here. Look around and you will see. Sometimes I think our biggest job is just staying out of the way.
2: just for some
0: a chance to poke around the new website. It is not yet complete but it will be shortly. You will note on it that the Primrose online plant sale has begun. All the information about the sale can be found on the home page. For all the gardeners that are local to us this is a great way to support Primrose Church and to have lovely plants in your garden. Next Friday, there will be a new newsletter for the care group leaders to distribute, and this will also be on our website as well. We are taking a survey of how people feel about opening our churches in the fall, so please fill that in for us. I will be mostly on vacation beginning next Friday night through until September 13th but there will be a new podcast each Sunday to listen to as well as the usual accompanying material. But the Thursday email correspondence will be discontinued until I am back working full-time in September. I hope you continue to enjoy this summer series. Bruce and I are so enjoying making them for you. I am going to close with a short piece of writing by Emily Carr who knew how to sit still in the forest so she could see everything around her come to life. Emily had learned about God in the church as a child. As an adult, coached by her aboriginal friends, she learned to see the divine in the deep of the forest, to see the magic of the kingdom of God all around her. And yet... When her paintings were not well received, but criticized and judged harshly, she retreated from her work and stopped painting. For 15 years, she ran a boarding home called The House of All Sorts. But in 1927, she met with the group of seven, and in particular, Lauren Harris. Lauren was not only a gifted painter himself, he was a generous spirit who supported and encouraged all the painters around him. He purchased Carr's Indian Church and hung it in his dining room, telling her it was the most marvelous of paintings and encouraging her to begin her work again at the age of 57. Lauren Harris modeled the ushering in of the kingdom of God. Emily would not have put it in these words, of course, but here is what she writes after she has met with him and the others from the group of seven. Oh God, what have I seen? Where have I been? Something has spoken to the very soul of me, wonderful, mighty, not of this world, Chords way down in my being have been touched. Dumb notes have struck chords of a wonderful tone. Something has called out of somewhere. Something in me is trying to answer. This is the magic of the kingdom of God. One person calls forth to another by seeing the wonder that they are, encouraging them, uplifting them, and life begins again. This is the resurrection of the soul, and this is at the heart of our Christian faith. We are called to see in a different way, and we are called to the light.
2: Life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord. I saw